Hi, and welcome to the first ever edition of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. Jewish Thought Flow is a podcast that's aimed at exploring the many facets of the Jewish faith. We will be covering topics such as the various solutions to questions on free will, the existence of God and his attributes, proper mode of service of the God, interplay between Torah and science, and many more such exciting topics. We hope to provide as much information as possible, however, without overloading the listener so that we will also have enough time to analyze those topics so the listener is, acquires a thorough understanding of the topic at hand. Now, just a note on the method here. The sources we'll be quoting will mostly be English translations. The translations will be done by me. However, the original Hebrew will be included in the notes of the podcast. Please do make sure to check that I'm representing them fairly, as I don't want to lead any of the listeners on. The only time we'll be quoting Hebrew is if extreme nuance is important to what we are talking about, meaning I disagree with a certain representation of a certain source, and I'm showing you the nuance within that source to say how to read it differently. Otherwise, we'll be giving fairly general translations, and the listener should please make sure to check and make sure that I'm representing it correctly. Okay, so the first topic we're going to be talking about is the first cause proof. The first cause proof is a logical demonstration aimed at proving the existence of a free-willing cause of all physical existence. The reality of such existence is very important to a Jewish person to know, as this represents the first principle of belief in the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. The Rambam's 13 principles of faith can be found in his commentary on the Mishnah in the, 10th, in the 11th chapter of Tractate Sanhedrin. The Rambam's commentary on the Mishnah was composed in around the year between the years 1158 and 1168 Common Era. The Rambam commentary was the first to be written on the entire Mishnah. The commentary was written by Rambam in Arabic and was translated into Hebrew. He started working on it around the, year, around the age 23 while living in Spain and completed it seven years later after settling in Egypt. It offers a running commentary on the Mishnah and often includes a halachic or legal ruling based on the Talmud's conclusion. In the 11th chapter of Sanhedrin, the Rambam includes a lengthy introduction within which he includes these 13 principles of faith that every Jew must affirm. They are known as the Yugimal Ikrim, or in English, the 13 principles. The following quote is the first principle, Yesod Harishon. The first principle is to believe in the perfect existence of God, and to believe that God is the cause for all of existence. Do not entertain existence without God, for if God would cease to be, all other existences would cease to be. If... However, one imagines the cessation of all other existences outside of God, this would not cause God to cease to be. The Rambam is very clear. The first principle of faith that every Jew must affirm is that God is the cause of all existence, but he's not dependent on all that existence in order for him to exist. So this is why it's important to know that this is a reality, because it's not incumbent upon a Jew to know it. But you may ask, well, most of you, I'm sure, are listening to this podcast, are believe in God. Um, it's something you've been brought up with as a little kid, and it's not something you entertain. Uh, for most of you, probably, it's not something you entertain that it could not be true. So if you're in that camp, you might be asking, well, why do I need to prove it? What's the, what's the advantage of proving it if I know it? Um, we're going to speak about this in, in later podcasts, God willing. But there's a, uh, a knowledge that we have which is not rationally proven to us tends to be a much stronger form of knowledge. Um, for example, uh, the reality that I exist um, is not something you can prove. It's just an experience. Well, you can prove you're having that experience, but but uh, but it, it's just something that you know, and you don't know it because of the proof that you, you know, that I think, therefore I am, Descartes' proof that we exist. Uh, you just know it because that's just the reality. So that's something you know at a higher level than something you rationally prove. 
for a lot of you, it could be that your knowledge of God is in such a manner that you just know it, um, and it can never be shaken. Uh, this may be the case. So you might be asking, well, why am I sitting here for this podcast listening to a proof about God's existence? So I'll tell you three reasons why it's important to uh, rationally prove it, even if you already know it. Um, so the first is, is that there's actually part of the mitzvah of knowing Hashem is to bring it into rational knowledge. It's not simply to leave it as belief. Um, so for that, for the source for that, we're going to bring the Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch means the book, it translates the book of education. So a little bit about it. It's, it was composed in Middle Age Spain. So that's around the year 1255 to 1285 Common Era. Um, it's a work which systematically discusses the 613 commandments of the Torah. It was actually published anonymously in 13th century Spain. Uh, the works uh, uh, listing of the commandments is based on the Rambam's listing. However, the Sefer Mitzvah puts them by the weekly Torah portion. So if, when you look at the Sefer Chinuch, you'll find the weekly Torah portion, and then you'll find the mitzvahs that are discussed in that Torah portion, but they're listed as mitzvahs in the way that the Rambam would list them as mitzvahs. Um, so he has the exact same list of 613 commandments. Believe it or not, there is a disagreement as to what is included in 613, not what is a, what is a mitzvah, but what gets included into the list. Um, so it discusses each one, both from a legal and a moral perspective. Generally, the legal is, again, based on the Rambam. It seems like the author was a big fan of the Rambam, that the legality discussed in the mitzvah is usually based on the Rambam's Mishnah Torah or his book of, of, of Jewish law. Um, but then it also provides a moral perspective to the commandment and perhaps a reason to the commandment. Um, now, the, the, uh, there's a 16th century author whose name is Gedalia Ibn Yahya, I think I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but that's what it says. Um, so he credited the Sefer Chenach to Aaron Alevi of Barcelona, who lived around the appropriate time uh, that this book would have been written, um, who was a big uh, Talmudic scholar and uh, halachist, which is a fancy term for means he knows halacha. Um, but others disagree, uh, because some of the views in the Chinuch seem to be at odds with other views held by Ravar and Halevi and his other works. Uh, some people think that the Sefer Chinuch was a different Ravar and Halevi, who was a student of the Rajba, um, was a different, uh, uh, medieval scholar. Um, so whoever wrote it, it's a good book. It's certainly the, the, the fact that we don't know the author has nothing to do with if we consider it to be authoritative. This is as good of part of our tradition, as good a book as part of a tradition as any you can find. So now, what does the Sefer Chinuch write? So in this is Mitzvah 25, uh, which is the Mitzvah to believe in God. So, so, so the, the Sefer Chinuch is trying to define what does it mean to believe in God. So the first thing he says is that the concept of belief is that a, the person should have it so settled within him that this is true, that it cannot be switched in any manner. So this is a very high level of knowledge, is that no matter what happens, this will not be shaken. But then he goes further, and he says... If he's worthy to go up in the heights of Chachma, the heights of wisdom, what is a mystical term, go up in the heights of wisdom, both in his heart and his brain, he will understand, hopefully he will understand and see in a perfectly uh, uh, demonstrative fashion that this belief is true. It's impossible to be another way. Then he has fulfilled the mitzvah in its most proper manner. So again, what are you trying to achieve? You're trying to achieve a, a sort of knowledge, a, a truism within you that this has to be no other way. This is the only way it could be. However, one of the steps of doing that is to rationally demonstrate it and know that it could be no other way. That's, so, so again, to answer 
the question, why is belief not enough? The first reason is because there's actually a mitzvah to bring it into rational knowledge. We'll speak about why that's also important when you already know it. Like, if this is already your truism, why do you have to bring rational knowledge? We'll discuss it at a time. But it's clear from the Chinuch, again, Mitzvah 25, that that is the case. The second reason why it's important is because most of us do not have this, this super level of belief, right? When we say we believe it, uh, it's just something we've been brought up with. Uh, well, how do we know it to be the case? Because most of us uh, occasionally sin at times, do the wrong thing. Now, we really had this belief of God is this is true, no other way to go about it, um, then it's very unlikely that they would be sinning as often as we do. Well, at least some of us. Um, uh, so, And part of the way we sin is that we self-justify. In fact, we'll talk about this hopefully a later podcast again. I know I keep, uh, I keep selling my podcast. But is self-justification. And we meaning I can do this. The only way you can say it's appropriate for me to do a sin is if you don't really believe that there's a being which told us not to and has control over everything. Um, so it's much easier to introduce doubt, which is the self-justifying tool, into the level of belief that most of us claim we have. Uh, it's much harder when we actually rationally have proven it and it's as much our knowledge as 1 plus 1 equals 2. Uh, none of us would bet our money against one plus one equal two, so therefore we wouldn't probably wouldn't bet our behavior against God being true, uh, based on the fact that we know it. Um, this does not mean that if you understand this proof, you will never sin again. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. So, uh, so but it, but it makes it easier. So there's a lot of times where doubt sets in, and and a person says, well, why am I doing this? Any of this? I don't know if I believe in religion. You won't be able to do that if you understand this proof anymore. Well, at least you won't be able to say, I don't know if God exists. That's the least you won't be able to say. Okay, uh, the third and final reason why it's important to, uh, to bring this belief into rational knowledge is because it's actually helpful in understanding the topics we're supposed to believe. Um, for example, we're supposed to believe that God is an uncaused first cause. What does that exactly mean? Those, sound just, those are just words. What does it mean? So if you understand the proof of why we say it, it's much easier to understand what we're saying. And this will be for anything. So we can believe, like, for example, let's take free will. We can believe that there's no contradiction between free will and God's foreknowledge. But until we actually explore the question, we're actually not going to fully understand free will because I would say if one fully understands free will the question and fully understands what God's foreknowledge means, the question becomes stronger. By answering it, then you get an even a stronger understanding of what free will and God's foreknowledge is. That'll be another podcast, by the way. Um, so, so again, the last reason is it's the more you prove it and the more you discuss it, the more you understand it. Understanding what you're talking about is certainly important to believing what it is because if you don't understand what you're supposed to believe, you're probably not believing what you're supposed to believe. Um, okay. So now, let's first discuss what the proof will and will not demonstrate. So we'll set the ground rules, what we're trying to do, and then if you keep those in mind, um, attached, you should find a link of actually my script that I'm reading off right now, of the bullet points, which might help you follow along if you want to download that before you um, start listening. Uh, that could really help. So what the proof will and will not demonstrate. Okay, so let's start with what it will demonstrate, the good parts, right? So it will demonstrate that an unforced causal, be causal being, uh, first, well, maybe not the first mistake, but one of many. The causal being is responsible for the existence of everything. Okay? So we will try to demonstrate that something which has no prior cause, and it is a cause, is responsible for the existence of everything. The second thing we're going to try to demonstrate is that that being is going to be above time. Okay? It has no relationship to time. Okay. The C, what we're going to demonstrate is that that being is conscious, 
Okay, that's also important, is that the being is conscious and has the ability to choose, and we're going to use these terms, you know, really apply to God, but uh, so to speak, has the ability to choose to trigger his ca- uh, causation of existence. Okay, um, by the way, if I make up a word, uh, try to ignore it and try to focus on ideas, because that's why it's important. A dictionary is very good at, at what words are real, but doesn't have any ideas in them. Okay, so now let's show what it cannot demonstrate. So it can't demonstrate that there's only one of these causes. We'll see that once we get into the proof. It can't do that. Um, there's other proofs that could, and we'll get into them again at a later podcast. But in this one, it can't demonstrate that, unfortunately. It also cannot demonstrate that this is the Jewish idea of God. The only thing that it could is that it's outside of time, which is a Jewish idea. But outside of that, it can't prove it's omnipotent. It can't prove that it's going to be omniscient. So omnipotent means it's all-powerful. Omniscient means all-knowing. Um, we're going to see they both seem to be fairly rational conclusions from the proof, but it's going to be unproven. What is between rational and proven? Rational means like a reasonable assumption based on what you know, uh, based on experience of life, and, and, and um, but it's not like logical. Uh, proven means logical. There's no other possible way to conceive of it. Uh, rational just means it's more probable to conceive of it this way. Okay, and the th- and the uh, the third thing that it cannot prove is it can't prove that Shem or God created the universe from nothing, or this being created the universe from nothing. Uh, it could prove that it causes the, the universe to be in the state it's in and the existence is in, but it can't prove that God created the universe universe from nothing, absolute nothingness. Again, it's going to seem to be rational, but you cannot prove it from this from this uh, demonstration. Okay, now let's do the assumptions, right? So in every proof, there's always going to be some sort of assumption. The less assumptions you can have in a proof, the better the proof is, obviously. But there's always going to be some assumptions that cannot be proven. In this proof, I think we're actually dealing with the least amount of assumptions possible one can have in a proof. What is that assumption? That logical necessity is also going to be reflect reality, right? So, so this is actually interesting. Uh, why exactly it is, I don't know, but that's the way God set up the world is that logical necessities end up being realities. But it doesn't have to be that way. Like, for example, there's no other way to conceive that 1 plus 1 equals 2, but there's no way, reason why the world couldn't have been that it's not. I mean, one, meaning that anytime you put 1 and 1 in a box, it came out to be 3. It's just in our brain it doesn't work. Like, our brain will never understand how 1 and 1 will then be 3. If the definition of 1 and 1 equals 2, then how, when you put 1 and 1, is it now 3? But our brain, why, our brain shouldn't have any relationship to what's actually going on outside. I mean, it's a separate creation. But thankfully, thankfully, God sort of aligned them that our brain, the things we conclude in our brain to be true also tend to be true in the real world. There's no real reason why that had to be the case. Um, that's why we can predict a lot of things in the world, which is a good, it's a good way to live. Okay, fine. So the assumption here is that logical necessity is also going to be reality. This is the basis of any rational inquiry. If, if, logical, um, uh, uh, if logical conclusions do not do not necessarily base reality, then you can't prove anything. But you also can't live anyway, because no conclusion you make in your mind will ever relate to the outside world. So again, it's an assumption. It's an assumption that this is the case. I mean, we do see it often. Certainly we see it play out plenty of times. Every time I put one one in a box, there's always two in the box. But that doesn't mean that it always, again, that doesn't mean that it always works. Um, but that's where we're going to be running with, that if I can logically prove you something, then that is going to be the case in the real world. Okay, fine. Is that fair enough in the assumption? Okay. So let's get started. The universe is here, right? So that's going to be either in reality or illusion. That's not going to make a difference. We're going to see later. I'm going to explain. Trust me. Just trust me on this one. We're going to get to it. Explain. It does not make a difference for this proof whether the universe actually exists or not. All that matters is that something is here that is being perceived, right? 
Whether that's reality or illusion, it doesn't matter. Something's happening. There's a universe. It's in reality or illusion, but those are the only two options. There's certainly not nothing going on because I'm seeing something. Um, and even if I'm imagining it, at least imagination is going on. Okay, so that's the first, the first thing that you have to know. Um, so again, that's not an assumption because that's actually logically proven. So the only way to get rid of that is to say, well, maybe logic can't tell us about the world, but we already covered that in assumptions. Okay, the second point. There are only two possible ways that whatever's going on, let's call it the universe, and we'll just cut it at that, the universe could be. Either it was always here or it came to being at a certain point. Now think this over. There's no other options, right? I'm not tricking you here. It's either always was here or came into being at a certain point. If you can think of another option, you can always email me, but I believe those are the only two possible options of the universe, always or came to be at a certain point. Now, let's further bifurcate, I think that's a real word, uh, coming into being at a certain point, there are only two options, either created by self or created by something else. Let's call that else Jim for now on, we'll just call him Jim, um, and we're gonna define his properties later, don't worry. But let's call this else Jim. So again, so it either was always here or it came into being at a certain point. Within coming to being at a certain point, there are only two possible options. It was either created by itself or created by something else because there's no other options outside of self and else. I mean, those cover all bases, right? There's no intermediate option. Um, and that else would be Jim. So it's either created by self or created by Jim. So I think we covered all the options. I think everybody can agree we covered all the options. So one of the ways we're going to prove which of those options is correct, I'll give you a hint, we want it to be Jim. Um, is if we start eliminating options and see, well, which one can't be true. And if we discover which ones can't be true, uh, then we can come to which ones would be true. I think that followed. Okay, fine. Let's start eliminating the options. Okay, so let's start uh, with assuming that it was not always here. And I'm not doing that unfairly because we're going we're gonna to think about if it could it have always been here. But let's assume it was not always here. So we're now going to focus on the coming into being options. And again, there were two of those. There was Jim or self-created. So either self-created or Jim created it. Okay, so now let's deal with self-created. Nothing can create itself, right? Why is this true? I mean, this is obvious. You'd have to be here ready to create yourself, right? In order to create yourself, so the creation of self would have to precede self, and if you're responsible for the creation of self, then self would have to precede self, which is logically impossible. So you can't create yourself, right? This is also, by the way, one of the... Um, one of the uh, proofs against the idea that something can come from nothing, uh, something can't come from nothing. Uh, if it was nothing, then nothing wouldn't have the properties to create something. So if something came, that means whatever's there has the property to create something, which is a something. Nothing can do, like the name suggests, it can do nothing. So if it created something, it's not a nothing. Um, I know there are some signs we'll get, hopefully we'll get into this in a later podcast, but I know there are some scientific studies which seem to show things popping it out of nothing in a vacuum. I have to really study them, uh, but you don't have to study them logically. Uh, all any, by definition, any scientific experiment could only show what their tools of experiments are able to pick up. So the fact that they don't pick up the cause of those things popping into existence doesn't seem strong enough to beat the logical impossibility of things popping into existence out of nothing. Because again, if it has the property to pop things into existence, it's probably not nothing. It's actually not nothing. It's something that can pop things into existence. Okay, so nothing could create itself. I think we, we've rationally concluded that pretty good. Therefore, if you were not going to say it's always here, you'd have to be going with the gym option. It must have been caused by gym. Because again, if you're not doing the always here option, you had two options, created by self or created by gym. And it couldn't have been created by self. 
couldn't come from nothing. We just discussed that. So it must have been Jim, good old Jimmy. Uh, so essentially, we're going to be left with two options there. The universe was always here or is created by Jim. Here's a little hint. If you're an atheist, you're going to want the universe to always be here because Jim's not going to be your friend today. Okay, fine. So now we have to discuss if it could have always been here, right? If it could always have been here, we don't need Jim, and the atheists are going to be very happy. But if it couldn't have always been here, and we're going to need Jim, then the atheists are not going to be happy. So let's do that. Okay. The universe as we know it is changing. One moment precedes the next, right? This is not the hugest novel idea you've ever heard. Uh, just a classic example, you came after your mother, not before your mother. It's just cause and effect. Things follow each other and things are changing. Now, again, this could be reality or an illusion. It really makes no difference to what we're trying to prove. Um, and I really want to try to stress that. Like, don't be one of those, you know, anarchist thinkers like, oh, maybe nothing's real. The nihilist, I think it's a different thing. Because it doesn't matter. Even if nothing is real, it doesn't matter for the proof. Because at least the illusion is real, right? It's a real illusion because if it was an illusion of an illusion, you wouldn't have anything. But we have something. We have an illusion at least. Um, so again, the universe is changing. We can agree with that. Um, also, just as a side, like even if I couldn't rationally prove the universe is changing, I had to put that in assumptions. Like if you really want to ride out on the universe is not changing, I think that would be a crazy train to ride out on. Like, assuming we can prove anything based on that assumption, and then your only answer was, well, maybe it's not really changing. Maybe we're just imagining life. Okay, live your life that way if you want. But it's interesting that only by religion you would live your life that way because I guarantee you in everything else, especially related to one's finances or, or pleasure-seeking, he's going to assume the universe is changing. Like, okay. Uh, now, so now, let's, let's discuss, could the universe always have existed? So now, if the universe always existed... Then from this perceived moment, right, we're somewhere, right? We're, you're listening to a podcast right now, I hope. Well, you wouldn't have heard that if you weren't, so I can assume you are listening to a podcast. Uh, from this perceived moment, going backwards, there would be an infinite amount of changes. Let me repeat that. If the universe always existed, then from this moment, if I just turn around in time, I start looking backwards, and I say, how many things happened before me right now, you, the only answer could be infinite, infinite because if it was finite if it was a a set determined amount of changes then as long as you traveled backwards you'd find the beginning and then the answer to if the universe always existed would have to be a big negative no it didn't always exist because there's a finite amount of changes from its start to me right now if it always existed i should find an infinite amount of changes which means if i start heading back to the beginning of the universe i will never reach it because there's an infinite amount of changes and i would just always be going through the changes Okay, now again, whether in reality or illusion makes no difference, and I'll prove this um, at the end. Okay, now, this is a problem. Anybody who's familiar with infinite, so it means anybody who's seen the amount of listeners to my podcast, um, knows that the definition of infinite is that it is not finite. Uh, I know that this sounds silly, but if you speak to a mathematician, you'll rethink that. Um, the definition of infinite is not finite. That being said, I didn't mean that if you speak to mathematician, you'll be able to prove to you that infinite is finite. You'll just understand why I had to say that, even though it sounds very silly. That being said, since we are at a particular moment in history, and that moment has supposedly been preempted by an infinite amount of events, then it would seem that we have reached the end of infinite. I'll try to say that in different words, because that didn't sound right in my mind. Because we're at a particular moment in history, right, that moment, if the universe always existed, has to come out after an infinite amount of moments, right? Because you have to get through all those moments in order to get to here, right? Now, 
In order to get here, you would have to travel through infinite. Now you might say, so what's the big deal? We've had an infinite amount of time to do it. Silly you. Let's th- talk about different things about infinite. Okay, so let's, let's say you're at a birthday, right? And your mommy tells you that you can eat the cake. And there's an infinite amount of cake. And it's an infinitely long birthday party. But you can only eat the cake after an infinite amount of kids eat before you. When are you going to eat that cake? Mm, probably never. Because you have to wait for an unending amount of kids to eat before it. So just say the words over in your head. An unending amount of kids to eat the cake before you. Unending means no end to it. If there's no end to it, there won't be any eating cake for you. Which will keep you skinny. So same with the world. If an infinite amount of changes has to occur before today, you listening to this moment of the podcast, then you will never ever listen to this moment of the podcast, which would be sad for me, because you have to wait for a long, long time to get to that podcast. And I don't just mean long as in like a long car ride. I mean long as in never ending because it's infinite. So you can't do that. Uh, Let's do another one, right? Let's say you walk into a room and a person says infinite. And you go, why did you say that? And he says, well, I was just counting to infinite and I just reached it. You'd probably hit him over the head if you were violent or you just walk out if you're more passive aggressive. Why? Because he's obviously lying. You can't count to infinite because infinite doesn't end. Everybody knows that, right? He would always have to be at a number. We, while we're going through the universe, though, are supposedly after an infinite amount of events. Because again, how many things happened prior to me before the creation? I mean, since the creation or the lack of uh, infinite amount of events. So how did we get here then? We should be infinitely far back in time. Um, so that's another problem. Uh, now, so, some people try to say, well, maybe we're just the link in the infinite, but I don't know what that means because, again, we're not claiming that it'll go on infinitely. That's not the claim. The claim is that it has already gone on for infinite because, again, you're saying there's no start to the universe. So the amount of changes that existed prior to me would be infinite. And since we can't get through it, we never get to today. Since we got to today, it must not be infinite, so it must be finite. If it's finite... It must have occurred at a certain time. So we're at the other end of things, which is created at a certain time. So if it's created at a certain time, and we already knocked out created by self and came out of nowhere, then it must have been created by Jim, uh, which means Jim must have done it. But before we get to Jim, I just want to spend a little more time on the idea that something can't come from nothing, because I think we went a little too fast over that. Um, so why can't something come from nothing? So, so I think this is perhaps the best way to say it. obviously the something that comes out, right? There's nothing in its nature when it doesn't exist to come into being, right? Because if it already could come into being, it would already have to be here. So that's kind of like it can't create itself. So let's talk about something concrete like a chair, right? So what's stopping a chair popping into existence, right? Nothing exists and then all of a sudden the chair. So let's, there's two things at play here, right? The nothing that preceded it and then the chair, So obviously the chair can't be the cause for its own popping into existence because then it already means it must have existed, right? So we can knock out that, I think, fairly. I think we we spent enough time on that. But why can't the nothing just pop a chair, right? What what exactly is stopping that from happening? We don't see it happen, but what's logically stopping that from happening? So so I think it's that if nothing could produce a chair, then it really can't be nothing because... This is going to sound funny, but there's nothing and nothing that could produce a chair. Because if it's really nothing, that means the absence of everything. The absence of everything cannot have properties to produce a chair. So the nature of it cannot be to produce a chair. If it could, it wouldn't be nothing. It would be something that has the nature to produce a chair. Now, you could you could say, well, maybe the universe 
well, came from nothing because the nothing wasn't really nothing. It was a something that had the opportunity to create a, a, or had the nature to pop a universe into existence. But that's all what I mean about universe, meaning I would just include universes in that previous thing also. And then you just have to ask the questions of that previous thing. Was that previous thing always here or did it come into being? And if it came into being, it couldn't have created itself the previous thing. So it just kind of pushes the question one, one uh, step down the road. Um, so somebody told me a funny story regarding this idea of just pushing the question one thing further down the road and then not dealing with it is a, is a villager who, you know, the first train comes out and they see it and doesn't have horses. Obviously horses don't pull trains. So they're trying to figure out like, how does it move? So they're looking at the, uh, they're looking at the last car and they go, uh, and I guess it's a two car train for this story. Um, the front car obviously is the one that has the engine in it, but they don't know about an engine. And then the back car is just something that holds the, the goods. So they're looking at the, 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 the car and they've, none of them figure out, well, how is it moving? There's no horses. And suddenly one of them comes out of the crowd and goes, oh, that's how it moves. The front car's pulling in. And they're like, oh, okay. That makes sense. What does it mean? It means they just push the question one car down the road and all of a sudden it's not a question anymore. So, so do we hear like just pushing what we're talking about to like, oh no, maybe it's something else. But that thing is the exact same problems as what we're talking about. doesn't really help. So this previous nothingness which have the would have the nature to create a universe we could just call that the universe and then just re-listen to everything we've said and it'll apply to that okay fine so now jim must have done it right that's what we came up with but in order for jim to have done it he has to avoid the same pitfalls as the universe right so jim must have the following prerequisites because again if he's gonna have the same problems as the universe then we're gonna need someone to have created jim we're gonna need a new jim and that that's not gonna work okay so jim cannot be subject to change right the biggest problem in our universe is that it changes and since it changes, it couldn't be around forever because if it was around forever, it would mean we'd have to get through an infinite amount of changes. So Jim cannot be subject to change, right? Because if he could, he wouldn't be around forever and he'd need a prior Jim. And then that guy would need a prior Jim. Um, so there must have been zero processes prior to creation, meaning Jim is not a bunch of events, then creation, because then you run into the same problem. Well, how many events? Was it infinite or finite? If it was finite, who created Jim? And then you just run into the same problem. So Jim cannot be a process... Uh, working concept. It has to just be one concept, and that concept caused the universe. Not in time, not after changes. It just is. Okay, that's one thing. The second thing about Jim is that Jim cannot have a prior cause, because if he did, the co- that new cause would have to be the Jim, right? Because if Jim has a prior cause, then we have to ask, well, who caused Jim? And then that guy who caused Jim would have to have all the prerequisites that would av- would avoid him being having to be caused by somebody else um and you can't have an infinite amount of gyms because we already covered in order to have an infinite amount of gyms you would have to get through all those gyms to get to our gym who created our universe um and that we obviously couldn't that couldn't happen yeah i'm trying to incorporate a gym pun like a working out gym pun but i can't work it out got on one of them okay so now since jim cannot have a prior cause he must also be able to create the cause himself because if he's not causing it and nothing else can be causing it, it's not going to happen. So if it happened, it must have been him who caused it. So therefore, there has to be some sort of consciousness that would be able to trigger the cause. Because again, it's not going to be forced on him because he's the only thing that exists. It can't be caused by else because if it was caused by else, you're going to run into those problems that that else house has to have a cause or how long would the else around and the else has to be the gym. So let's just keep the let's just keep the, the, the car of the train where it's at. We're going to try to solve this car of the train. So Jim cannot have a prior cause. And if he's the cause, 
He has to be able to choose the cause. Because if he can't choose the cause, then it must be a process which is outside of him, which would be a problem. So again, it would have to be a process. Because again, if he's in one constant state and he can't cause, and then the cause has to just happen, if nothing's moving, nothing could happen. So again, it has to be that Jim would have to be the one to trigger the cause. Okay, fine. So again, so to recap, there, these are the characteristics of Jim. He's going to be the creator of the universe. He's going to be above time and change, and he's going to be the cause. He's also going to be conscious, okay? So a conscious creator of the universe is above time and space. If we just replace Jim's name with God, even though Jim had all the funny puns with it, if we replace it with God, you're going to have a demonstration of all the things promised, right? An unforced causal being, again with the causal, it's causal, created the universe, that being is going to be above time and change, and that being is going to be conscious. Now, let me just recap the last part, because I, the conscious part, because again, if, if you're not picking the cause, it has to be something else picking the cause. It could be a process within you to get to it. It could be something outside of you. But if it's going to be you, it has to be your cause. Because if you're not actively causing it, then what's causing it? It has to be a process. That process could not be going on forever would have to be a stop process if it's a process that started at a certain point right then question would be who triggered it if jim can't trigger it it has to be something else then you're going to get into the other gyms and you're going to run into the same problem so again jim has to be the one to be able to trigger his cause okay so i think we delivered on everything we promised now we're going to get to a bit of an edgy thing we're going to go to common objections now, I don't have the source in front of me, but the Rambam in, in, in the laws, in his Mishnah Torah, which is his book of laws, in the laws of uh, idol worship, he says you're not allowed to um, think perhaps there's no God or perhaps there's two of them or anything. So I just want to make clear we're not doing that. God forbid that we're ever entertaining, um, that this might not be true, That because right now we're going to get to objections, like what could you say to argue against this proof? Um, so we're not saying them in ways of, well, perhaps then the conclusion of the proof isn't true, i.e. that there is one God who created everything, who's master of the universe. We're never entertaining that. God forbid we're going to entertain that. In our minds, in all the minds of, the Jew, of, of anybody who's a religious listener, you always have to keep that as a constant, no matter what, if you can figure it out or not. The constant is, is that God exists and God runs the world and God created the world. So we're not entertaining that not to be the case. What we are doing, though, is we're going to, in, within the rational proof, we're trying to figure out, is this a good proof or not for that truism that God created the world? Okay, fine. So the first problem, that a, the first common objection that a, uh, that a person can have to, is going to go at the nature of Jim. So we said that Jim, or let's just use God for now. God has to be above time and change if he's the one creating the universe or else he's going to have the same problems. But how can you say that? He, didn't he create the universe, right? So there's a prior to the creation of the universe and then a post-creation to the universe. So wouldn't that constitute a change? Um, and if he has changed, then he couldn't have existed forever. So I'm going to give you a bad answer, which I think most people wouldn't have been able to pick up, so I could have snuck it by you. But I just want to be... I want to show that I'm being honest and trying to give you ideas that I actually really hold of. I'm not going to give you anything that I hold there's a rebuttal to. So a bad answer would be that um, we could say that he doesn't need to be above time post-creation. He just has to be above time prior to creation. What does that mean? Because, again, we're having trouble getting to the moment of creation because that process can't be infinite. Because once the creation process itself is finite, so as long as the process prior to that is not going to be infinite, we're not going to run into problems. So if we say God is above time and space before he created, meaning there's no changes within him prior to the creation, 
then it's not like you have to get through an infinite amount of processes to get to him creating the world. There's no processes because at that point he's above time. Once he creates the universe, then there's a change, but that's fine because now we're already in the finite process of the creation of the universe, which would be however many years the universe exists. Um, okay, but that's not a good answer. Why is that? Is because if we're saying that God could create at a particular time, right, meaning that prior to that there's no change fine but then when he creates all of a sudden there is changes that by itself is by definition putting him in time why because let's assume the world is let's assume 5770 okay well it's 5779 i don't know why i said 5770 5779 okay years old um doesn't matter for the time so don't get all worked up 5779 is the amount of years the world is uh 5779 years old um so let's assume it's that old. So now, let's say God had created it a day a year earlier. So then it would be five seven eighty, right? Now let's say he created it a day earlier. It'd be or a year earlier. It'd be five seven eight one, and so on and so forth. So those are ability for God to create. It, meaning, if God's not in time, but he creates something that is in time, and then he changed by it. So then, ultimately, you have to say God is in time the entire time. Know, that's a funny sentence. God is always in within the the realm of time. Why? Because you could actually measure his existence prior to the creation of the world because it's potential added time to the world. So instead of the world being 5779, the world could have been 5780, one more year previously, or previously to that, 5781. So then that would put God in time because the ability for God to have started changing could be measured even before, so to speak, the change in time. Um, in years that were potential, so potential years. So you could have measured, well, God existed for a certain amount of potential years. Now, if that amount of potential years was infinite, meaning you'd have to negate an infinite amount of potential years before we got to our creation, meaning it could have been 5781, could have been 5782, could have been 5783. I'm not going to count the infinite because you can't do that, but imagine it keeps going till infinite. Then in order to have it 5779, you'd have to negate an infinite amount of potential years in order to have the creation work out that it was five, seven, seven, nine years ago. This is going to be a problem again, because then again, that would make Hashem have to go through an infinite amount of change. Okay. So that's not a good answer. So the real answer, God must be able to create without changing, meaning God must always be above time. Not that now he's in time. So even when he creates the world, the world can't have changed him. So there can't be any change prior or post the creation of the universe in regards to God. That would keep him always above time. Because since he's not changing when the world universe exists, 5779, right? He hasn't changed. So you can't reference by him that it was potential to be created 5780. Because again, the creation of 5779 was not an event by him either. So the years of the world are also not events by him. If you say God starts having events by him once he creates the world, then you're going to say, well, he could have had potential events by him, which means he always has events by him. Here we're saying even after he creates, they're not events by him. He literally does not change post or prior to the creation of the world. Okay, this mechanism in its full uh, totality will have to be addressed in a later podcast because it is kind of complicated. But in short, how is it possible that God could create without changing? Why isn't the creation of the world changed by him? Um, simply said, it's because there's no period of before creation because there's no time. So post-creation is not a change in his reality, right? When you're talking about God before the creation, you can't say God was before the creation because before the creation is already a, assuming there's after creation, which is already a time sentence. If God is not in time, there's no like idea before the creation. So after the creation, he didn't change because it's not a new time by him. 
It's not a new event by him because he wasn't in the state of event prior to creation. All changes must be one event to another event. So if God was before creation, then post-creation is a change by him. But if God is not before creation, then post-creation is not a change. Um, so again, we're going to have to really focus a lot more on that to really sp- flesh it out. It will be a, a, um, a topic of a later proof podcast, which maybe we'll do next. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, we'll see how many people listen to this one. But, um, but, but either way, okay, either way, even if you don't understand how God could create without changing, it's not really our responsibility to explain the mechanism. All we have to do is prove that such mechanism must exist, right? We, there must be something that can do it without changing because the world's here. And if you don't want a logical impossibility, you got to have find something that doesn't change. The problem with the universe is I know it changes. I don't know how God works. So I don't know how he could create without changing. I don't know how that would work, but I haven't seen that he did change. We have no evidence that God changed after creation. I know the universe changed. I can see it. I can feel it. It does change. So if I could see it from God's perspective and I see it didn't change, then I would understand the answer. But I think you can do it even without it, and I want to get into that a little later. I don't want to get into it now. But I'm just saying, in terms of methodology, um, it's not our responsibility to figure out the mechanism of how God doesn't change. All we have to ascertain is that there must be something that doesn't change. In order for universe to exist, we must have an entity that created it that is not subject to change. Because if that entity is also subject to change, something must have created him, and that would go on, keep going that train until you found something that doesn't change. So So that's how we deal with that objection. Okay. Here's the next objection. Why could the universe not have always existed, but only have started changing a finite amount of time ago? Okay, so what does it mean? It means the universe didn't always, the universe always existed, but it didn't start changing always, right? It only started changing a finite amount of time ago. So let's say the universe existed always, but it didn't move. Then all of a sudden, five, seven, seven, nine years ago, it started moving. So that would cut out, seemingly cut out the creator, and also cut out the problem of the infinite regression of change, because it only started changing at a certain point, a finite point ago. So we agree. So it's a finite point ago, but it, it could have always existed prior to that change. So I think it's going to have the same problems, right? So now, if its state of always existing was stagnant, meaning no change, so what was the state prior to it starting to change? If it was no change, then no change would still be occurring. Since there's no time, this would be the eternal state, right? Meaning if there's no changes, and you have a certain state, and there's no changes, then it's not going to change. It's always going to be that state. So how did we get to the state where it is changing? Okay. Now, if something else came and changed it, meaning something else came and moved it from its unchanged form to its changing form, that other thing would have to be Jim, or face the consequences of not being Jim. And not being Jim would make you also always have to always exist unless you had the same problem and you need another Jim. So that would also run into problems. So this will also be on top of the fact that we previously demonstrated that ability to change also means you have been in time the whole time. The same thing we said by God, right? That because you could measure the potential for when the universe could have started changing, that would make the universe always within time in terms of potential years lost. Um, And therefore, there's no idea that the universe was not always in time. So I think we have like two ways to get rid of that problem. Okay, here's the next problem. What if time is just an illusion, right? So this was the illusion thing. What if the time and or everything we're seeing is just an illusion? Then how do you prove God? Ha, got you. Okay, no, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if it's an illusion. Because again, how long ago did the illusion start? Was it finite amount of time ago or an infinite amount of time ago? It has to be finite because if it was infinite, we never get to this stage of the illusion. What was the state before the, the change or the illusion? Was it stagnant or was it changing? If it was stagnant, it would always be stagnant. If it was changing, it couldn't have always existed. So now, 
if if the cause of change from non-change to illusion of change is something, that something must have been Jim, right? Meaning if it was nothing changing, and then all of a sudden an illusion started of things changing, and that's why we think a canon of always existed, well, guess what? What caused that? It has to be something else, right? Because if it's in a state of, uh, if, if it's in a state of non-change, and then you hit the illusion of change, so how did it switch? There's nothing in non-changing that would cause it to start being an illusion of change, right? It's not changing. So the only thing that would cause it to get to illusion of change would be Jim. Jim would have to have the same characteristics as what we call God. Okay, now the last one I think is one of the silliest, which is maybe we just don't understand infinite, right? Maybe if we understood infinite, we understand how things could pass through it. I think this is silly because obviously we don't understand infinite because it's not a concept. I mean, it, it, it's beyond, I mean, sorry, it's not, it's not a defined thing. It's by definition undefined. It's beyond the definition. But we do understand one thing about it. In one sense, it is defined, is that it's not uh, specifically defined. I know I'm going to run into trouble with that. But, but it, meaning it's not finite. That's what we do know. That we know it's not finite. And that's all we need to know. Because all we need to know on a proof is that it's not finite. And all the ways that the world could be created has to be finite. So if it's infinite, it's not going to work with the finite amount of change needed in order to get to our current mode of change. Um, okay, so now let's recap. So I think we took care of all the uh, objections. So let's, let's recap. Um... What we couldn't demonstrate. So we couldn't demonstrate how many of these causes exist simultaneously, right? It could be monotheism or polytheism, right? We don't know because, again, it could be two unchanging things trigger this. Um, but again, even though I can't prove to you logically there are not two in this specific proof, there's no reason to assume that there would be another uh, cause. Like, it, 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 you only proved one of them, so there's no reason to assume there are two. But again, I can't, I can't prove to you it's not. But rationally, if you had the options, you'd probably pick monotheism because, again, I haven't proved to you that there's polytheism. All I've proved is monotheism, so let's go with what we've proved and nothing more. Um, now, we also couldn't demonstrate uh, if the bean is occur uh, uh, sorry if the bean is aware of what occurs within the world. Um, all we know is that he triggered the cause of it. We 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 can't prove that he knows about what's going on in it afterwards. Um, there really is no afterwards by him because he's above time and space, but. Uh, we can't we can't know that he knows the details of the world. All we know is that he has the ability to cause them. Uh, again, but why would you assume not? If you assume he has the ability to cause them, like what what would cause you to not think that he knows about it? I just like I said, I can't prove it in this particular demonstration. Um, uh, the next thing we couldn't demonstrate is that we, we don't know he has any abilities in the world, right? We don't know he's omnipotent. Maybe he can't switch anything. He can just cause it. He can't switch anything because there's other things that are stopping him from switching it. We don't know. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, God forbid that we don't know. Like I said, all of this is just, this proof does not cover that. It doesn't mean we don't know about it. We do know. Every, believe in Jew, every, every Jew, believing Jew knows that God can cause anything in the world. Now, I want to issue a, a bit of a correction. I actually just thought of this uh, mid-podcast. But there was a fourth thing we said we couldn't demonstrate, which is that God created the universe from nothing. Um, we said that that perhaps it could have, the the universe could have already existed in a non-changing form, and then God came in and made, started the change. The reason why I thought so originally is because, again, the only problem with the universe changing is that if it was changing forever, you wouldn't get to it. But if it was finite at a certain point, I'm sorry, I mean, if it was non-changing at a certain point, then that non-changing aspect could have lasted forever. Um, the only problem with that is that you need something outside of the stagnant, non-changing universe to make it start changing. Um and that other thing would have to, you know, not always be changing in itself, not be stagnant at any point that would need something else. So that's why I said, well, perhaps you could just have God come in and change the stagnant universe into a changing universe. But based on what we mentioned earlier, um, which is that if the universe itself is going to start changing, then you can measure its lack of change also in time 
by its potential lost years of change. So again, it could have changed a year earlier. It could have been five, seven, eighty, and that places it already in time. Then you could already you can knock out that option, right? You can demonstrate that that can't be the case. It can't be the case that physical existence, which then changes into a change in existence, um, always existed. Because if so, it would actually have to already be in time, and things that are in time, meaning the possibility of more time added to the actual changing events, um, would not allow it to ever get to that because you'd have to pass through an infinite amount of potential changing events in order to get to the actual time when you were actually having changing events. So God, could, so if God would do that, the universe couldn't have existed forever. So we actually could demonstrate the universe was created something from nothing. So yay, that's another tenet of our faith um, that the universe was created something from nothing. Um, you could actually also prove that with this demonstration. What have we achieved? So we've achieved proving the existence of an above-time, free-willing cause from absolute nothingness, new added, of our reality. I just threw myself off with that mid-sentence um, adaptation. Uh, now, while we have not proven everything we wanted to about God, um, the one we know in our Torah, um, now again, it doesn't mean we don't know these things. It just means we haven't proven it with this proof. I keep saying that so I get covered for the uh, don't, don't uh, think that God may not exist clause in the Torah. Um, but we have gotten a few steps closer, right? Well, knowledge will help us in our service of God. It will also help us in um, convincing others about the truth of God. Uh, the rest of it, like God's omnipotence or omniscience, will have to just be Amuna, which is fine. Uh, we'll have to still say as a knowledge base. It just can't be rationally proven up to this point. Uh, we do have rational proof, it's just not from this proof. Uh, well, maybe we'll do it next time. Um, and that concludes the podcast. So I hope you really enjoyed it. I hope you guys have questions or comments or clarification. You want to add something, you want to challenge me on anything, please feel free. Please email me at jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com, spelled the English way. So I don't want to spell it all out, but it's jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com. I don't care if you listen to this podcast like six years after it was produced, because I understand this is the first ever podcast, so it might not reach more than three listeners. But hopefully when the podcast get going... People will go back to the first one and want to listen to all of it. If you listen to this now, it doesn't matter how late after it was made, please email me. If you have a good question, I will create a supplementary podcast answering your question in the, in, in the email. Hopefully, I'll gather a couple of them before I make that podcast, and then I'll just attach it either vis-a-vis link or I don't know how the podcast works. Maybe I can put it in Atlas. So it's like a, when you click on this one, you'll see the next one. This is supplement to this one. Um, also, don't forget to please... Uh, subscribe. I don't know if that's a thing in podcasts. I'm pretty ignorant at this point. But if there's such a subscribe button, please hit that. And please share with all your friends so we can share this good, uh, good truth to the world.